Educational leaders should not only listen to and learn from educators. Districts and schools may be complicated places, but there are also other organizations that are committed to serving our youth that do incredible work. Case in point, this week Jeff talks with Jim Clark, the CEO of Boys and Girls Clubs of America. They serve 5,100 centers, locations, impacting 4.6 million students. Yeah, you heard that right. A massive undertaking and leadership responsibility. You can't listen to this and not learn something about strategy, navigating the complexity of the current times, and servant leadership. Enjoy. Ladies, gentlemen, educators, leaders, welcome to Leader Chat. And you're going to see in a minute exactly why I asked, begged, uh, cajoled our guest to be with us. And the guest actually, and we're fortunate, is, is here with me sitting at the very table, which makes it actually a more fun, engaging conversation. And like I said, you're going you're gonna to understand without me describing exactly why, because school districts usually think about leadership aligned to those that they're serving. So, for example, they think about the district size, the demographics, the location, the landmass, whether it's urban, suburban, rural, etc. There's a lot of ways to kind of, you know, consider how one leads based upon where they're leading. Now, I want you to imagine the leadership responsibility and challenge of our guest sitting with me here today. I'm gonna to be introducing and reading the bio of Jim Clark, and he has to sit here and listen uncomfortably. I've shortened it as best I can. But Jim Clark is the president and chief executive officer of Boys and Girls Club of America. Now think about this as I read it. As the leader of the nation's largest facility-based youth development organization, Mr. Clark directs a 116-year-old network of 4,900 boys and girls clubs that serve 4.6 million young people annually in all 50 states, territories, and on the U.S. military installations worldwide. So, as we I'm going to continue to go, but think about the leadership responsibility. And by the way, there's a lot of alignment to the work that we do in schools serving students for sure. But once again, consider the challenge based upon what I just described. Since joining Boys and Girls Club of America in 2012, Mr. Clark has spearheaded a major restructuring of the organization and introduced an exciting new strategy to allow more youths to achieve positive outcomes in three priority areas, ac academic success, good character and citizenship, and healthy lifestyles. To support Boys and Girls Clubs in fostering these vital outcomes, Mr. Clark emphasizes the importance of building organizational capacity, improving program quality and consistency, expanding the Boys and Girls Club's national network, and positioning Boys and Girls Club as the nation's leading advocate for youth. Mr. Clark began his career at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel in 1979 where he served as a senior leadership roles in distribution, marketing, and customer service operations, and advanced to senior vice president. In 2004, he departed the media company after 24 years to become president and CEO of the Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Milwaukee, which he served as a board member. And I'm going to 
actually end there so we can kind of dive in because when I looked up and started to pull different, um, different work that he's done and specifically the, the impact on Boys and Girls Club, I would have been just reading to you for the next half hour. So without further ado, Jim. We're thrilled that you're here. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Jeff, uh, for having me. It's really an honor and, and privilege to be with you and this audience. It's a significant audience in terms of the impact you all have on our nation, on our youth and families throughout the country. So thank you. Well, you know, like I said, I, I read your bio and you have to sit here and, and listen <laughs> no, to tough. it. It's weird, right? So, but as I do, there, there are things I missed. And maybe you can maybe touch on that or maybe just describe a little bit about, you know, what makes you tick, what things are uh, exciting for you, what things are maybe challenging for you as a leader, maybe even just your why behind what you do, because you know, you started in one field, you transitioned to this for a reason, and now you have this incredible opportunity to make a difference in the lives of people. So just talk to us about that. Sure, you bet. First, you know, first of all, let me make a statement or a comment because I think it's really important. Um, as I think about your work, the work of educators, uh, the work of superintendents, principals, teachers, way too many times the fingers get pointed at the deficiencies or the blame game for why kids, teenagers aren't successful and totally unfounded and it's wrong. And I really firmly believe that because so much has happened, so much has changed. I don't need to get into that. I'm sure other uh, guests have talked a lot about that, but society and, and the family structure, everything has changed. Um, unfortunately, other support assets and communities haven't changed uh, to support those families as things have altered. So. I really applaud, salute every teacher, every principal and superintendent in this country for what they do and the service they provide uh, to communities and kids. I, we would be a disaster without it. So thank you uh, to your audience for that. Um, and it leads to the why, um, yeah. it gets right at it. And you know, for me, without going back and, and describing the pathway or the journey, the why for me is real simple this generation or the past generation or the next generation is the future of our nation. It's plain and simple. And it's the same thing you and, and every educator believes in. And that's why it's incumbent on us. It's an imperative to make sure we're preparing that next generation to be the best they can be. You know, there are future politicians, lawyers, doctors, engineers, you know, pick the topic. Um, that, that's what this country is going to be. Um, so it's so important and critical. And to me, that's the why. The ultimate why, and, and this goes back, you know, 30, 40 years now, um, is something we're wrestling with today around workforce readiness, workforce development. Um, why I got involved with the Boys and Girls Clubs was this simple notion. I looked out and said, oh my God, this is our future workforce and right. I need thousands of them. So what better way to connect than through an organization like this that has access to these kids and yeah. making sure they have us top of mind as they go on in life. So it, it, it really is poignant today in terms of uh, what we're all wrestling with. Uh, but the real inside of that why is about the future of this nation. I, I'm a big believer in America. I'm bully about America. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of the American dream and the American promise. And frankly, that's why so many 
flock to this country or try to get to this country every year because of what we had. And we should be proud of that. And one of the key pillars in that is education. If you're here, you're going to get an education. And if you work hard, you can be anything you want to be. So you think about this, this, this educational piece of it, this academic piece of it is so, so important in, in life today. And, and it always has been. So, you know, that's a big part of the why for me is about the future of this country. And I'm a patriot. My favorite holiday is 4th of July, um, for all those reasons. You know, I spent, um, I once was involved in an exchange and I had a chance to spend a month in China and touring their schools, meeting with educational leaders and really trying to understand and dissect their overall uh, programming and, you know, the infrastructure that they use because, as you know, the U.S. is often compared, as are all countries, to uh, each other. Right. right. And so we talked about the, you know, United States slipping specific to a lot of data and test scores. And we've seen actually an increase in, uh, you know, at the time where China was heading as it relates to education. In the meantime, what was so interesting, as I was there touring and talking, students, principals, um, leaders were begging to know how they get more students, kids, to the United States, yeah. specifically for college and some of our higher ed opportunities. Sure. So while we were there, yeah. you know, studying and learning, they were dying to know how they get to the U.S. to do that, which I found to be just fascinating, yeah. right? That yeah. regardless of our reputation and test scores, that people still really flock because, you know, we're, we're very unique and we have incredible opportunity. Yeah. So. Endless opportunity. So tell us more about the Boys and Girls Club because I would say this, there's probably a, a lot of misunderstanding. Yeah. I, I, even amongst educational leaders, they're probably surprised to hear just how vast and expansive you are based upon what I just read. But maybe just talk to us about what is the specific kind of goal and mission of Boys and Girls Club because I think probably you could close your eyes and make some assumptions, but that may be incorrect. Yeah, no, thank you. It starts with this basic premise of kids who need us most in this country. Um, and we go from that point forward in terms of how do we help them be successful. Our positioning statement is doing whatever it takes to create great futures. Our primary service point is school-aged kids, and it has been. Uh, since 1860. Um, now it includes kindergarten, but through high school. So it's school-age kids, and we're not predominantly during the school day. We're after school, out of school time, on weekends, on uh, summer during the day, as you can imagine, when school's out. Um, and our goal is, you said the three areas we focus on, but, but our goal is really not to be the school. It's not to be the home, but it's to augment, to supplant, to support, um, to encourage, to provide some of that middleware that sometimes evaporates. It's not there uh, for kids and families um, for a lot of reasons, but you know, it, it really gets down to the sum of these misnomers you're talking about. You know, in days gone by, yeah, we had a big sports rec kind of flavor, swim and gym um, back in, you know, the 40, 50, 60 years ago, 70 years ago. Um, but our, our constant premise throughout uh, the beginning of time was to get kids off the street, give them a place 
where they can belong, mm -hmm. where they can take advantage of opportunities and experiences and stay out of trouble. Um, so really this whole notion of supporting the whole person and supporting success in life. So from there, it cascades out. And in the last 15, 20 years, our focal points have really been on how do we support that academic success, that healthy lifestyle, becoming a good character citizen in life, becoming what we call productive citizen in our country. And today we add to that being able to earn a family supporting income. Um, and how do we help get kids and teens ready for that? So our, our premise is really around kids who need us most, that's our mission, and becoming active, caring, productive citizens in our country. Um, we're domestic for the most part, except for, uh, as you said, we serve every military U.S. military base in the world uh, has a Boys and Girls Club. And that's um, our international piece of what we do. We're the largest provider of youth services on Native American lands, uh, as that spans the country as well. Um, we are in public housing. We are in rural America. Your description of what you do and what schools do is, is, is identical. Uh, we're in suburban America. We're in urban America. Uh, our, our footprint is, is yes, uh, half of everything we do roughly is in urban America, uh, but 90% of our locations are in the rest of the country. Um, urban and or rural and suburban America, small town America. Um, so we have a vast footprint. Uh, the numbers you rattled off are close to right. We've actually grown a little bit uh, <laughs> since uh, uh, the end of the year, or, or really what we ended the year with. Uh, we came in a little over 5,100 locations today. Um, and that's one area that's been growing, especially during the pandemic is this need in every community uh, for these types of uh, services and experiences. Last thing I'll say, and, and we can get on to a couple other areas, but you think about this experience and opportunity, those words I mentioned. To me, that's what this is all about. A lot of kids in America, the haves, get exposure and get the opportunities and experiences um, just because of who they are, where they are, who they live, where they live. Um, other kids in America don't, the have-nots. Our job is to level the playing field, yeah. to provide those experiences and opportunities that some kids get and others don't. You know, this notion, these words that we're becoming a nation of haves and have-nots, it's too late. We already are there. And so now how do we change the dynamic? How do we level the playing field? That's our quest as we move forward. So some things that just resonate to me is you know, and a past educational leader myself is that, um, one, you mentioned the blame game, right? And yeah. the finger pointing that it sometimes happens. And the reason that that resonates and almost warms my heart is that I, I would agree at times as an educator, you feel, um, one can feel attacked pretty easily, mm -hmm. right? People have this narrative relative to what we do in school or maybe what we don't do that often is misinformed and really just not accurate. And it's hard to create a new narrative, right? Once it's already out there, right? That being the case, um, kids are in school six hours a day, right? right? Which leads a lot of other hours. Yeah. And so to hear that there is this partnership that is aligned to the concept of raising kids, right? People raising people, which is complicated work, right. but, Schools do, can't do this alone. No. And it's silly to think that we could. 
families can't do this alone, right? There has to be this we in the work. And so it's, like I said, for an educator to hear the mission being so aligned to what we're trying to do to create this opportunity, less of an opportunity gap, right? People all the, talk, all the time talk about this achievement gap. Well, I actually just happen to believe in the potential of people. And so often the potential is aligned to what they have been experienced, right? So what, what their life has been like. So if you can help, if Boys and Girls Club helps to close that opportunity gap, I see we start to, you know, move things along and see this goal to fruition. So, I mean, it's just refreshing to hear. And I, I'm curious, schools, and I know Boys and Girls Club is in the same boat, how have you navigated the incredible change that we've experienced and are experiencing now, right? When you started the work years ago, it's very different than it is now, especially this post-COVID world we're trying to figure out. How has that impacted your leadership? Yeah, great question. And to build on it just a little bit, I think it's important when we look at schools. Um, schools are greatest and best partner, um, period end. And when schools and boys and girls clubs are working hand in glove, the results are fantastic. And, you know, it's simple things like the homework assignments coming to the boys and girls club sure. from the teacher so that when we have our power hour, which is the homework help hour, um, we know exactly what the school, the teachers working on, and what kids can work on. So that's the simple part of it. Mm -hmm. To get to your question, um, it's become very complex and very sophisticated. Really no different than some of the challenges educators face. I, I bet not. Uh, it's, this, it's very, very similar. And I think the pandemic, to your point about the last few years, has only exacerbated things. And it's also shined a light on really some of the ugly things that we knew about and never did anything about. Um, yeah, you know, once again, similarities. Yeah, yeah. Uh, technology, yeah. you know, you think about that. Um, thank God we had developed an app-based program tool pre-pandemic. It went on steroids during the pandemic and we found out, you know, some of the weaknesses of it as well, but, you know, we would have never uh, gotten to a place of technology that we are today hadn't it been for the pandemic. But again, it really shined a light on some of the weaknesses as well. Um, I think it also put a, a clear light on the ability or the way we go about the work that we do and the need to have different and multiple channels uh, to communicate or to create experiences that are virtual or to create opportunities that would normally be in person that wasn't possible um, and anymore at, during the pandemic. So I think you know, we were forced uh, to accelerate some things that probably wouldn't have been accelerated right. pre, uh, pre this. And then to the sophistication, the complication part of it, you know, some of it relates to society. You know, we've been uh, dealt uh, a lot of cards that really we have no choice um, when it comes to what's happening politically around us, how that's you know, caved in on our lives and mm -hmm. encircled what we do and how we think about things and and really cascaded across, you know, whatever enterprise you're involved with. So, you know, the complications of this have, have emerged. And then, you know, you think about the sophistication part of it. And today, you know, we're in a slightly different place than, than schools are because we are able and have a little more flexibility to raise money. 
to generate revenue to do the work that we do. Um, but that's gotten difficult as well. So we have to be much more sophisticated, and you've said it, at what are the outcomes that kids derive by being part of our program or part of our services? And what is that experience that they have? And what are the things that define the experience that leads to these outcomes? Much more sophisticated than, hey, y'all come, mm -hmm. you're gonna have a good time, and we know because of that something good's gonna happen. So it's changed, and, and data has driven a lot of that. Has that pressure to demonstrate growth and impact via uh, creating data points along the way, has that only increased? I mean, I, I have to assume, the question now is, so how how do we know it's working? Right, that, absolutely the answer, because yes, um, you know, the, the demand or the expectation of information and data is higher than it's ever been, and funders, mm -hmm. the government, yeah. you know, I mean, it doesn't really matter anymore, private or public, they wanna see what those results are. So um, they wanna know, how do you measure the experience kids are having? Is it when you take, is it like when you take your car into a service uh, location at a dealership and mark a five, otherwise I'm in trouble? You know, how are you really measuring this experience? And then what are those things inside of the experience that lead to the outcomes in their life you know better attendance at school you know healthier living um staying out of trouble all of these things matter um so yes we've had to get much more intentional and specific about uh, that work and again our partnership with schools helps us uh, right. uh, with that so you know now we've kind of created this understanding on the lay of the land yeah. and the intersection that we have with schools and boys and girls club um let, let's start talking about leadership yeah. Right. So the one thing you and I connected on when we were talking earlier was this concept, which is actually to support the leadership circle. I believe people join the leadership circle because the fact is we say, you know, leadership is very isolating and it's lonely and people don't understand the seat and responsibility that one has. There's a lot of judging up that happens, right? A lot of blame games specific to leadership. Your direct quote when we talked was, the water gets deep and sometimes there's a lack of right, right preservers, right? So light preservers. So it's easy to get lonely. And with your leadership breadth and responsibility, I know you experience the same thing. So talk to us about what you experience or maybe what you see other leaders, leaders experience and potentially how you try to get beyond that as best you can. Yeah, I know, great question. And the analogy around the ocean or the water is a great one. And I'll add one dynamic to, to that. Um, it gets even more severe when the water is choppy. <laughs> it gets difficult to even more difficult to navigate and the corollary to that or the reverse of that is it's a lot easier to lead when the seas are calm everybody's high-fiving everybody's feeling good which is rare by the way more <laughs> rare today uh, for sure um, but you really find out what a leader's made of uh, when it's toughest and certainly we saw a lot of that in the pandemic. Uh, some melted down, some didn't make it. Others rose to the occasion and went beyond. But your point about lonely at the top is so true. And, and I think for especially someone that is going into a leadership role um, or has that sight down the road to go into a leadership role, it's probably the one dynamic that's least understood, to your point. And I think 
the more we can help leaders with that paradigm, if you will, the better they will be. And so you said, what do I do or how do I think about it? Um, first of all, it's recognizing that. Um, and then it's recognizing where do you need to turn? And for me, it's building a mini network. Um, it's Jeff, uh, Phil. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's others that maybe aren't in our particular business, but they're close to it. Um, and they've experienced a lot of the things I have. Um, it's, it's taking a few of your board members, um, not creating a board inside of a board, um, but really asking them to be one of the sounding boards for you and give you that honest feedback, unfiltered, mm -hmm. unvarnished, unbiased that a leader needs because around us and surrounding us are people that want to make us happy. That's common ground. They want to do good. They want to make sure they're doing well and they want to make you happy. So the, the only problems that hit your desk are the big ones. Yeah. <clears throat> Everything else they are taking care of because they want you to be happy. Um, and they want to do a good job. Um, so you, you've got to understand uh, that a lot of the people around you are, are going to human nature, try to make you happy. And that means they're not going to always say the right things. So one of the other golden rules I have um, when it comes to that dynamic is really your direct reports, the senior leadership team you meet with. And I'm real, really prescriptive about how we operate. Hmm. And um, I don't want to sit in a room and have a bunch of bobbleheads sitting around me, um, nodding up and down. Yep, Jim, good idea. Great, Jim. Yep, let's get on that, Jim. Let's go. Um, I want to create a level of tension and a level of, no, not unhealthy, but healthy tension um, and a level of openness where people feel comfortable to speak their mind, whether it's about your area of responsibility or mine, um, and put in place productive, significant type opinion or facts to help us make the best decision possible. And I think if you can get good at that, you know, that that type of dialogue, you will make far better decisions and faster than if you tried to go it alone or if you had a group just sitting around, yeah, I agree, I agree, I agree. Um, so those are a couple things I do to, to really try to make sure I'm getting the, the right sounds in my head from different perspectives, but as unfiltered and unbiased as possible. Well, the, the, I'm glad you, you answered in that way because I, I wanted to hear your strategy. I, uh, I joke often that, you know, leaders sometimes feel isolated and lonely, and then they use the serenity prayer to help themselves um, cope. But the serenity prayer is not a very good strategy. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> no, it, it maybe helps you feel better at the time. Like, I guess yeah. I can't change it. Right. You, you, you just kind of suck it up or roll your, you know, your sleeve one more notch. But that's not a strategy. I think leaders need a strategy in order to navigate sometimes what they don't even know it's going to be like, which is this level of isolation. So you mentioned complexity and how things have become far more complex. And by the way, the speed of change is going faster than we've ever seen it before. And it's promised to continue to speed up. With your level of responsibility, there's, there's no way you can understand all of the complexity happening all the time. So what is your strategy to kind of lead the system? I say, um, 
you know, you should focus, you know, your, your job is to work on the system and not right. in it. That's right. Right? So how do, how do you do that based upon, you know, the complexity as well as size of Boys and Girls Club? Yeah. Um, it's the right question to ask, and, and really it's one that all leaders face. Whether you're part of a large enterprise, mid-size, small, it's, it's really the same question and you know it's how do leaders function how do they go about leading an organization and i think every leader has whether they're spelled out or not golden rules about what they try to do in terms of their leadership mantle in terms of their leadership strategy to to your words mm -hmm. and you know to me i back up and uh really say and and look to myself and am i kind of leading from in front or am I leading from behind? I, I like your line, uh, am I working in the business or on the business? Mm -hmm. um, and what are my conversations that I'm having? You know, at what level am I talking about you know, what we're doing? Am I talking about how many opening, job openings we have in Portland, Oregon? Or am I talking about how do we have a system, systemic and, and systematic approach to uh, building better staff, better employees and making this the most attractive job in the country. Um, so I think a lot of it depends on, you know, what level you're looking at. Sure. And for leaders, you know, to me, it's always about how do I make sure I stay on top of what's happening in the organization? And that's kind of this leading from in front versus leading from um, behind. And then I, I, I really give my team a lot of latitude. Um, I believe we hired each person for a reason, for their expertise, for their knowledge, for what they're bringing in terms of experience to the organization. And we set goals um, and, and we have shared goals and we have individual goals. We, we work hard on all that. And then I let them go do it. Huh. Um, I don't get in and manage um, our financial um, operation. I don't get in and manage our marketing department. I don't get in and manage our chief operating officers uh, area um, because we have to, I have to give them the ability to do their job. And if we trust, which is a huge word mm -hmm. and a big part of leadership, if you trust your people, they're gonna trust you and they're gonna do a far better job and the best job they can possibly do. So then I, I, I really think about things in some pretty simplistic ways. And I mentioned this to you before. You know, I talk a lot with our team about two ways to go. Yeah. Two ways to go in life. It's on any topic. It's not boys and girls clubs or a school. It's two ways to go. It's at home, it's at work, it's at church, wherever you are. And it's up or down. Mm -hmm. That's it. And if you put things in really basic buckets, simplify for everybody. You know, I lead, read leadership books just like you do, and they can get really complicated. Uh, and there's a lot of rubrics and steps. matrix and, and steps. Right. And, if you do these eight you know, steps, then right. you're, you yeah, will exactly. see gains no matter yeah, what. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I talk a lot about up or down. And in our business and in the business with schools, down is not a good thing for kids, period. Um, so we have really one direction to go that's up. Uh -huh. So let's focus on that. You know, let's not be looking in the rearview mirror all the time. How do we focus forward? And really this whole culture, this mentality, this philosophy about thinking in the future. You know, Native Americans have a great um, 
philosophy around life that every decision you made should be for seven generations from now. And it's that type of thinking. How are we making decisions for the future? Yes, it's going to impact us today, but how is it going to impact us um, in the future? And then, yes, I think there's a lot of basic leadership competencies that if you don't have them or can't develop them, you're going to be in trouble. Um, and surround yourself with great people. Yeah. Recognize great accomplishments, support your people, develop people. All of these things are critical when it comes to people and, and being a, a great leader in my mind. Um, and then I, I do pay attention to some of the details, frankly, um, but they're the details that matter to people, not always to the business. Um, what, do you, what do you mean by that, the people? It's little things. Do you, I, I send them all a birthday card. Oh. Um, you know, and, and thank them for the work that they're doing uh, every day. Um, I, I make it a point you know, when there's a anniversary or a special milestone to, to ensure I pick up the phone and call them and thank them. Every new local market leader that joins our enterprise, I call them and, and welcome them and, and tell them, here's my phone number, direct line, anything you want. Um, call on me anytime, anytime you, you want to. And I think this is about the approachability factor. And it's another, to me, part of the leadership dynamic. If you're sitting in that office and you know closing the door and sure letting everybody do what they they need to do around you um but you're not paying attention to the people you're going to have a problem and to me it's all about approachability people feel comfort coming to you comfortable you, coming to you you even mentioned to me uh about your strategy of being present in different places in the country, not always aligned to um, yeah. the big metro areas, of course, which you have to pay attention to because that's a responsibility, but also being in other places yeah. that may even surprise the overall organization yeah. and demonstrate that, no, I'm, I am here because you're important and you care, et cetera. Am I, did I get that right? Yeah, you're spot on. And, and to me, it's all about priorities. Um, and and thinking about your priorities. And, and this is a great example. Uh, I'm gonna be in every major metro city just by default, Yeah. period. Um, and more in Washington, D.C. and you know New York than anywhere. Um, so they get a lot of me anyway. Um, but it's the flyover states. It's the small markets that take a day to get to or two days to get to that perhaps have never had the CEO of our enterprise visit. Um, so I go out of my way oh. to go to those places and hear and listen to what's happening in their operation. And that word gets around really fast that you truly care about everybody, not just the big ones, but everybody in the enterprise. And so, yes, that's been a clear strategy for me. Um, they get the priority um, when, when, when there's an invitation to go to an event or speak at a dinner, um, they get the, the top billing, they get the priority, um, and it makes a difference. One thing we talked about uh, earlier was this concept of servant leadership, Yeah. right? And there's, this, there's definitely a philosophy relative to servant leadership and yeah. strategies that align itself to that. The one thing that I, the challenge that I'm seeing amongst um, school districts and s school leadership is that, you know, they're suffering from what has been described a long time ago as the tyranny of the urgent. 
right? And so what I see sometimes leaders challenged by is they think in order to serve, they need to do mm-hmm. and solve every problem that comes across their desk. And leaders have their head down and they're doing and they're doing and they're doing. The dilemma is, to your point earlier, they're not always intentionally, like Heifetz says, going to the balcony, mm-hmm. right? So they're on the dance floor, as Heifetz describes, and they're dancing fast and furiously. And they forget that sometimes to serve well, you have to get to the balcony so that you can survey and understand and be intentional relative to your leadership. You must see some of this challenge too or experience it, but I just, I'm, I'm hoping as it relates to servant leadership, you can talk to us about even your own strategies on you know, sometimes you need to focus on your own learning and, um, you know, connectivity with other leaders in order to serve well as opposed to just doing. Right. Is that making sense? It is, it is. And, you know, where I'd start there, Jeff, is separate the words servant and leadership. Now, um, Greenleaf probably doesn't like that answer, but, <laughs> uh, but really in a practical, simplistic way, separate the words for a minute because I think they we confuse ourselves. We think about servant and then we like we gotta get down and do it, get in the weeds, get get you know, teach a class, whatever that may be sure. um, in, in terms of our, our professions or our fields. Um, and that's not really the spirit of this. The spirit of it is the leadership part. And if you look at servant leadership, frankly, it's a lot of the core basics of leadership anyways sell, don't tell, uh, recognize people, develop your people, develop a trusting relationship um, with people, um, All help them with their life challenges and, and concerns as well, be an empathetic and compassionate uh, leader. The, that's all part of servant leadership. Um, what it doesn't say is go out and drive the truck, you know, it, uh, but people confuse it. Um, real quickly. And I think the other confusion um, that I, I see and I talk about is when this the word servant leader, and it's a very popular word, right? There are two words that that you know people use. Uh, it's delegate up. And that's how we get into this getting the twigs. I'm doing the job of three people, you know, down in the system. Um, and it's not about delegating up. Um, it's about you becoming a servant leader and taking these same principles with your teams and, and delivering. So I think part of it is really understanding servant leadership and separating the words a little bit and focus on the leadership part of the key, key components of being a servant leader because they're no different than the basics of any leadership model yeah. um, in my mind. Um, and look, I would also say to, to getting into the, the work itself, um, you should, and leaders should um, take specific opportunities to do some work of your enterprise. We do it. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, holiday is this coming Monday. Um, I take our whole senior leadership team. We go to a boys and girls club and we do a service project. It's great team building. Um, it's great to be right on the front line of how our clubs are operating. Um, and it's a great experience but it's not every day. Um, right. It's a few days out of the year. Um, and it's very intentional, very purposeful. So I think that's um, super, super important. 
You, you must see some of the same challenges with leaders in your organization get confused with that at yeah. times too, Yeah. right? Yeah, and you know, the other big confusion is we get confused about the difference between passion and performance. Oh, let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, Jeff is a great person. He is so committed and dedicated to this mission. Um, he loves this mission. He's been here so long. Yeah, Jeff's a great person, but there's nothing coming out of it. You know, mm -hmm. there's we're not performing at the level we need to. And this goes to this, you know, again, simplistic line I like to use. We need to be passionate about the mission, but serious about the business, because there's a business to this as well. Um, and the beauty part is we get to marry our passion with our profession here, but there has to be a performance piece of it as well. And I think for too long, we confuse those. And, you know, just because you were a great person and very committed and passionate about what we do, didn't mean you performed well. Um, and then you're, you're really not serving the mission in the best possible way. You know, it's, it's almost like saying, I mean, I've seen some incredible teachers in my time where I would walk into a classroom just because maybe I've, I've had a bad day and I just need to yeah. be in there, Yeah, right? That's exactly. Now, that teacher who is an artist, that doesn't necessarily mean they're gonna translate to being a great you know, principal right. or even a great principal translate to be a great superintendent. There are different responsibilities. And the concept that I hear you talking about is ensuring that even though they're passionate because the work that happens at the Boys and Girls Club, similar to the work that happens in schools, you know, it's this heart work. Yeah. You do it because of usually very noble reasons, right? It's, yeah. it's usually not for, you know, this is a great financial decision to become yeah, a teacher. For sure not. Right? And so <laughs> that being the case, you're there for a reason. Yeah. So it's a matter for the leader to understand seats on the bus. Yeah. They may be a great person, very passionate about the work, but if they can't perform relative to the task of leading, yeah. there's gotta be something else. Yeah, that's right. And because leaders have to be able to take on the pressure and responsibility and perform and move forward or yeah. up in your case, yeah. right? And, and too often we, we promote people beyond really what they wanna do, frankly, um, because they're good at it, and we put them in a situation where they can't be successful. And then shame on us. We own part of that decision. And frankly, I like unwinding those. Um, and some people don't, but I like unwinding those and get the person back where they are or can be successful. Um, and, you know, assuming the attitude and uh, chemistry is all correct, uh, I think it's a good way to go. Um, so I, I, I think you're spot on with that. And we have to be very careful of that as leaders because we get enamored with people too. Yeah. Uh, real easily. I've, I've made many, many mistakes in a lot of areas in my career. And that has often been one of them where I really value the person and I want to reward them yeah. because they're so good at what they do. And then I put them in the wrong seat. Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly. Okay, so you know, I gotta be careful with your time, but so let's, let's imagine this because most of, most of our processes in the leadership circle are these round table protocols and systems where leaders kind of pick each other's brains specific right. to a dilemma or a challenge. This is actually the one area where we talk at them, mm -hmm. right? This is the one thing we do in the leadership circle. This leader chat is talking at them. So um, I asked this of all of our guests as kind of a final question. Let's imagine around the table with us are other leaders, you know, 
principals up through superintendents. You can imagine there are leaders within your organization. Sure. Based upon the discussion we've had so far, what would you want to be your last piece of advice? Like that elevator speech, let me say above anything else, remember this. What would that be? Well, there's more than one thing, Jeff. Oh, it's not um, an easy question. <laughs> uh, I'll spit out a few and then give you a By final means. one. Um, means. Yeah, I think there's a couple other, you know, when we were talking about strategy and, you know, how I operate, um, I think there's a couple other things that, you know, I pay attention to and, and they're good to just jot down because they work again in any environment. Yeah, you know, I'm a big, I'm originally from Wisconsin, so big Green Bay Packer uh, fan and okay. Uh, the legacy, uh, Vince Lombardi, uh, Coach Vince Lombardi, a big Yeah, fan. I've heard of him. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, one of his lines was always, treat them all the same by treating them different. And there's a lot to be said for that. The second one I would say, and this isn't an original, um, but um, I picked it up from, from, some, some, from some quote, but it, it's so true. As a leader, no matter what direction you go, there is always going to be someone there to tell you you went the wrong direction. <laughs> Doesn't matter. And the, the, the moral to that story is there's always noise. There's always outliers. They're usually the loudest. Be real careful and understand, is that one or two or is it a hundred? And that's the difference between noise and a signal. Yeah. And understanding that is, is, is super, super important. Um, I would also say kind of third here is it never seems as good as it is, but it's also not as bad as it seems. And it's easy to get anxious and, and easy to get worried and easy to get wound up about things and try to remember that. And also in good times, this leading through calm seas, probably not as good as you think it is. Um, so, so remember that uh, uh, as well. And then I, I would say kind of in conclusion, it really the maybe catch all that I hope everyone would take away from this is, is it is about talent. You know, we, we brushed on that in several different ways, um, but it is about talent. Hire the best. And we all wimp out on that at times. Can't afford them, they would never come. Um, you know, that's not possible. I say it's all possible. Take on that challenge. If, if Jeff is the best principal in this country, go get him. No matter what it takes, get him. Yeah. Fill a new superintendent of the year. I, 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 wherever, whatever school district I was in, I don't care what it costs, I'd get him. Um, and it's the same for principals, the same for teachers. And then focus relentless pursuit to develop and grow the talent that you have. Talent, talent, talent. Um, that is what's gonna get you to the end game. And if I were to add anything, it's about, we talked about data. Um, you know, I have a line with that too. In God we trust, all others bring data. Um, use data to help make your decisions. We, we, schools are the same as we are. We get so much anecdotal information. And- There's a lot of experts. Yeah, a lot of stories, a lot of opinion. <laughs> And all of a sudden we drink the same Kool-Aid. Uh -huh. Oh my gosh, we should do that. And now all of a sudden you're running way off to the side and it really isn't where you wanna be. Yeah, the shiny objects can become yeah. really distracting, can't they? That's right. You know, you, you said several things. I mean, what, that, that list 
is really pristine. And there are a couple things from it. For example, um, you know, that I have two kids. Um, I would often say in my own leadership that I, I love them the same. Right. I treat them really differently. That's right. And if I'm a teacher of 30 kids or I run a system of 100,000 students, we don't need to get into maybe even the politics of a word like equity. Let's just acknowledge that kids are different based right. upon who they are and their circumstances, and let's figure out how we serve them. How about that? Right. Right? right. You, you can't – that's not a political message. It's just let's just do what's right, specific to trying to figure right. out the needs of kids. And then the – around noise and when I started leading in I left my um, challenging but comfortable because I knew a job as a superintendent uh, a wise friend of mine said hey just as you move forward remember this it's not going to be as good or as bad as you think it's going to be that's right and just like you said that's, that's and by right. the way this is almost like my daily mantra now yeah. right yeah. and it never is right no never so this is I really appreciate this, and I know your time sure. is so valuable, and for you to be here face-to-face, -face, it's it's a gift for us. So, Jim, yeah. just know that we really, really appreciate it, and I've learned a lot, as will the people listening or watching this. So, much appreciated. Well, thank you, Jeff, and, and really thanks to your profession and to all the teachers, principals, superintendents out there. Um, you're doing God's work and it's not an easy job and we all owe you a tremendous debt of gratitude. So thank you uh, for what you're all doing. Well, thank you as well. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, you see, uh, without me going into detail and creating a major intro, um, the reason that I wanted Jim here with us is to provide this perspective on the concept of leading a system that has this noble pursuit and yet is complicated. It is complicated and he's right. You do incredible noble work and we thank you for it. Ladies, gentlemen, educators, leaders, be well.